Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, Is the Holy Spirit a Divine Person? Ken will put the spotlight on the Holy Spirit in this podcast and the next. So this is part one of two. Uh, Ken, this is a good topic for Christians to uh, uh, read about, study, listen to, uh, because we can get tripped up uh, easily when we're talking about uh, the Trinity and particularly the Holy Spirit. So uh, what are your thoughts as we uh, begin this podcast? Yeah, I want to invite our, our listeners to get their Bible out because we're going to cover a lot of Scripture. Um, it's important to appreciate that the Trinity um, is not merely a, a theological doctrine that the church came up with, but it's grounded in Scripture. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, a, a divine person, not, a, not an it, uh, not an energy or a power, uh, but a person. And so we want to look at uh, two aspects of the Holy Spirit, that he is divine, equal to the Father and the Son, and that he is a, a person, so a divine person. And uh, the reason for the program is I was thinking a little bit about it. Um, I like to call the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity. I think what uh, I mean by that is that the Spirit... De uh, defers to the Father and the, and the Son. The Spirit is always drawing attention to either the Father and the Son. Not a bad uh, uh, component to have working in ministry, but to some extent, I also think that in the early church, particularly in the patristic era, I think the Spirit was somewhat a neglected member of the Trinity. And what I mean by that is, Think back to the first five centuries of Christianity, what we call the patristic era. Um, the controversies were almost exclusively uh, Trinitarian and Christological. So there wasn't a lot of discussion about the Holy Spirit. One of the earliest presentations of the Spirit being a divine person comes from one of the Cappadocian fathers, uh, Basil the Great, who lived in the fourth century. He wrote a book uh, on the Holy Spirit. So uh, it didn't get a lot of discussion early on. Now, if I can contrast that with the modern world, in the modern world, I, and th this is an observation, you, you know, you put it to the test. I think in the modern world, we, we tend to gravitate to one person within the Godhead. And what I mean by that is, I think evangelicals, for example, talk a lot about Jesus or the Son. I think Pentecostals focus a lot on the Spirit. I remember walking into Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, probably 1978 or 1979, and I noticed there was no cross. There was a dove in the front of the church. Uh, I think the Orthodox, uh, Eastern Orthodox, I think they focus a lot on the Father, um, and so what's interesting is that it's important, I think, to recognize the, the members of the Trinity. So what we'll do today is look at the Holy Spirit and see his relationship with the Father and the Son and what he does. I think also that the Holy Spirit is unappreciated. So that's where we're going, Joe. Wonderful. Okay. So you're going to apply some clear thinking on the Holy Spirit. 
that's what I love to do. And I just want to begin by saying that these two programs uh, are going to look uh, at the biblical support. Uh, and so I want to remind everybody up front uh, that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Uh, his, his deity, he shares with the Father and the Son uh, fully and equally. And uh, again, we don't want to think about the Holy Spirit as a it. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and other heretical sects, they describe the Spirit as a force or a power or an energy. So we want to show that uh, the Holy Spirit is a divine person. And I think the good place to begin is to talk a little bit about the names of the Holy Spirit. And this draws me to John 14, 26. John 14 and John 15 are very, uh, very much focused on the members of the Trinity. Let me read verse 26. It says, but the helper, and that's the Holy Spirit, that's one of the Spirit's names, that, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, that word helper, English word, in Greek is parakletos. You've no doubt heard the word paraclete. So parakletos can be translated helper or comforter. It can also be translated advocate or counselor. Uh, and I think what's interesting here uh, in a legal context, uh, Jesus is spoken of as an advocate. The Spirit has this uh, advocate or counselor context. And of course, the Father is seen as, as the judge. So you have that kind of uh, element taking place here. And I think that word paraclete uh, is an important one. Here's what Peter Toon, in his book, The Triune God, which, by the way, I think is one of the very best books on the Trinity, and I think why I like it so much is he spends a, a good bit of time looking at the scriptures. Uh, so Toon says this, he says, the Greek parakletos is formally a passive verbal adjective, meaning one called alongside. Uh, for example, to assist in a court. So it, it, it has often been translated as advocate or counselor. When I was thinking about that the other day, I was thinking that this word para, you know, we have paralegal, we have paramedic. Uh, paralegals come alongside to help their clients and lawyers. Paramedics come alongside to help the sick or the injured. Uh, that has that same kind of root. And so uh, we can talk about the Holy Spirit as being a helper. We can talk about him as a counselor, uh, as an advocate. Uh, all of those, all of those terms are are appropriate. So, comforter, helper, advocate, counselor, and I think what's helpful in this context, guys, is this. I think sometimes people don't talk a lot about the Trinity because it's complicated, and while many Christians believe it. They're a little hesitant because they, they think they might get it wrong. I think that when we think about these names, uh, it, it can be very helpful in our, in our devotion. So the paraclete. Now, here's a, a, a solid quote from the ESV study Bible. I like, first of all, I like study Bibles. Um, and, I, and I like them because they kind of help us interact with the text. 
but I like the ESV translation. It has, it is becoming my, one of my favorite English translations. Uh, for years, I read the NIV. I prefer the 1984 uh, edition of the NIV over the modern one. But here's what the ESV Study Bible says. It says, an impersonal force could never provide as good a comfort as Jesus. The Holy Spirit must be personal in order to fulfill his most personal ministry. So again, Scripture does not present the Holy Spirit as an it. It presents the Holy Spirit as a who. Um, and so as a who, he is a person. And by person, we mean uh, a self-conscious and rational. Uh, so the so Jesus is going to go away. Jesus says, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's coming. Well, if the Holy Spirit is inferior to the Son, then I don't understand how we're better off with the coming of the Spirit. So that's that's a context of these names. And Joe or Dave, any comments at this point? Just uh, this comment that you make about him being our uh, a person that we can go to for counsel. And, and so frequently in life, we come against issues and problems where we need advice. And, um, you know, you think, oh, gee, do I know someone who can give me advice? Someone, you know, if it's legal, we think of a, do I know a lawyer? Or if it's real estate, do I know banking? You know, we always, and here we have right there within us, someone who is wise, a counselor, someone we can go to. And it just kind of struck me as you said that of uh, what a, an amazing thing that we have available to us. He's a person who loves us, cares for us, and someone that we can go to to receive counsel and help. That, that's yeah. a great point, Dave. And I, I, I love those. I love those names. An advocate, a counselor. Uh, he, he can stand up for us. Uh, he can counsel us. And then I love those other words as well that, you know, I need help in my life. He's the helper. He's the He's helper. The yeah. yeah, those yeah. are great. Yeah, to just to add to what uh, uh, Dave is saying, not that anything needs to be added, but uh, Jesus said, I think it was uh, uh, at, near the Great Commission. You'll know where it is. I can't remember specifically, but that... Uh, I'm going to be with you always. So I'm I'm imagining the disciples trying to figure out what does he mean by that? Uh, <laughs> now we have the Holy Spirit, uh, this personal advocate, comforter, who's with us always. So that's another pastoral aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, talking about this topic at a, a church I class I attended for many years, and one person raised their hand and said, I don't know, you know, th these terms kind of helper. Uh, that sounds kind of like he's lowly, you know, he's on the low side of the totem pole. He isn't as exalted. And I said, well, I, I think the Holy Spirit is unappreciated. I mean, he's a, he's a worker bee. He's there to help. Uh, he's there to comfort us. Uh, and he shares the divine nature equally with the Father and the Son. So sometimes, and that's what I mean by being unappreciated. Uh, wow. You're going to see the Holy Spirit is involved in a lot and uh, probably doesn't get enough attention in our in our way of thinking. Well, let's then move to the question of the Holy Spirit and the Trinity.
And uh, that leads us to an important point that I'm not sure a lot of Christians appreciate, that the doctrine of the Trinity comes out of the New Testament, and uh, it's built, of course, clearly on explicit statements, like we'll, we'll talk about being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus's baptism when, you know, the, uh, the Father speaks and the Son is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends. But there is also this triadic pattern. And what I mean by that is that the three persons uh, are frequently listed together in a triadic pattern of unity and equality. Now, I want you to appreciate this. Sometimes uh, the Father is just mentioned as the Father, but sometimes it just mentions God, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, God and the only exclusive God. It's a reference to the Father. Mm. The Son, he's mentioned as the Son or Christ or Lord. Well, when Jesus is called Lord, that's uh, kurios, which is the equivalent of Yahweh. Uh, so you, you can't have uh, two gods. You, if you can't have God and Lord unless they're one, then, of course, the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the Holy Spirit or uh, as just spirit. Now, here's an example, and we'll look at a couple of them. One of them that I really like is from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And what I like about that is it's a benediction in our, in our church service. Uh, and it reads, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Well, Think about that for a moment. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second person of the Trinity, and the love of God, there the Father is referred to as God, he's the first person, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, third person, be with you all. So one of the reasons that the early Christians recognized the triunity is Scripture seems to present these persons in such a way that they are equal, uh, that they're mentioned in such a way that there is an equality. So that that's one of those particular passages. What was the reference of that again, Ken? That's 2 Corinthians 13:14. 13, 14. 13, 14. Okay. 2 Corinthians 13:14. Now here's another one. And again, I mentioned that the persons of the Godhead are mentioned very close together in both John 14 and John 15. Now here's John 15, 26. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now let me, let me then introduce the members of the Trinity. But when the helper, the third person comes, whom I, Jesus, the second person, will send to you from the Father, first person, uh, the Spirit, third person of truth, who proceeds from the Father, first person, he will bear witness about me, second person. So part of the support for the doctrine of the Trinity is that these names are mentioned so closely and so easily, and, and it's if... It's, a, it's as if all these three persons share equality together. So Jesus uh, speaks of the three as if they're distinct persons who share the unity and nature and equality of status. 
So again, I don't want Christians to be, um, uh, I, I don't want them to be shy about the Trinity. And I I don't want people to think, well, I I don't talk about it because it's complicated and, and it's difficult. But I think as we learn more about the Trinity, it will take uh, it'll take shape in our life in terms of our prayers and and how we think about that. So at this point, we're we're concentrating on the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. Now let me take you to another one. This is another example of the triadic pattern. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Paul writes this, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Well, notice there, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, third person, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, second person, Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God, first person. So there, notice that they're all involved in these varieties. Uh, all of them are described as engaging in that activity. And I think that some groups that deny the Trinity, when they hear, when they hear God, and it's distinguished from Jesus and the Spirit, they think, oh, no, only the Father's God. But the problem with that is that Lord also means God. Lord is Yahweh. So here we see that triadic pattern, the Holy Spirit, third person, Lord, Jesus, second person, God, first person, and all three of them are involved. Uh, there are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of service varieties of activities applying to each of the distinct persons. Okay, now how about how about explicit passages because those those triadic pattern I think is very powerful, but they're also explicit passages. And of course one of them is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This is the Trinity and it becomes our baptismal formula. So Matthew 28, 19, 20 reads this way. Uh, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A couple things jump out at me here. Uh, this, is, this is the baptism. This is the Great Commission. Jesus is telling his church, go into the world and, uh, and make disciples uh, and baptize them. Um, and they're baptized in the name of the, the distinct persons. In fact, uh, here in Greek, you have the definite article appearing before Father, before Son, and before the Holy Spirit. That definite article is distinguishing the three persons. So we have the Great Commission, we're to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now again, the ESV, and I, I like that translation, and I like their study Bible, uh, one of the things I enjoy about it is it has a lot of notes in the back, it has uh, a lot of material uh, dealing with all kinds of issues. So take a, take a look at the ESV study Bible. Very, very similar in translation to the NIV, but, it, but it's really grown on me. 
Well, the ESV Study Bible says here about Matthew, the baptismal formula of Matthew 28, 19, 20, says, puts the Spirit on an equal plane with the Father and the Son in his deity and personhood. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, if the Son and the Spirit are inferior to the Father, why are we baptized into all three names? Um, you know, if the Father, as the witnesses say, the Father created the Son, and if the Spirit is merely a power, uh, why is it that Jesus speaks of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, emphasizing equality? Now, let's, let's look at one more uh, example here. Again, this is the Trinity focusing, putting the spotlight on the Spirit, uh, because the Holy Spirit won't take the spotlight. He always defers. Um, and, you know, that, again, teaches us about humility. Um, the Holy Spirit is always willing to, to deflect. Uh, Matthew 3:16 and 17, this is Jesus's baptism now. Uh, and it reads, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, what do we have happening here? Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who has taken a human nature and now is living as a man on the earth, Jesus is baptized. The spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, uh, thus the imagery of, of the uh, Holy Spirit as a dove. And the Father speaks. So here's another way of thinking about the, the Trinity. Um, you know, it's fine to talk a lot about Jesus. Uh, Yaroslav Pelikan once had a conversation with the editor of uh, Christianity Today. And he said, you evangelicals, you talk too much about Jesus. I don't know that you can talk too much about Jesus. But Pelican said, we don't think enough about the Holy Spirit. And I think he's right about the second part. So if Jesus, or I should say, since Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father, Jesus is the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father, the Spirit anointed Jesus so that he would be, he could serve as the Messiah. He's the Spirit-anointed Son of the Father. So if you have Jesus... You have to have the Spirit and the Father. And again, I think what can help us as we talk to people who deny these things, you know, you've got people uh, coming at your door who deny that there's a whole group of, uh, of sects today, we used to call them cults, uh, that deny the um, divinity of the Son, that deny the personality and divinity of the Spirit. But what we see here is, um, the Holy Spirit is a person like the Son and the Father. The Holy Spirit is divine like the Son and the Father. Let me pause. Comments, questions, guys, at this point? It's great stuff. Keep going, Ken. <laughs> All right, then let's, uh, let's look at the Holy Spirit as a divine person. And uh, that brings us to a very interesting passage in the book of Acts. Acts 5, 3, and 4, 
uh, it says uh, in verse three, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained it unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. You haven't lied to man, but to God. It seems the reasonableness of that text indicates that in this deed, Ananias had lied about it. But he hadn't lied just to men, he'd lied to God. And early it says he lied to the Holy Spirit. So here we, we have a passage where people have looked at it carefully and said, hey, the Holy Spirit, you, you can't lie to an impersonal force. I don't think you, Dave, I don't think you can lie to gravity. I, I don't think you can lie to energy. You, you can only lie to a person. You can ignore it, I guess. You can deny it, but it doesn't uh, change its behavior just because you lied to it. And and so here we have here we have a person lying to the Holy Spirit. So lying conveys uh, that it was lying to a person, and that person is God. So again, when I talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, I talk to Christadelphians, I talk to Unitarians. And I try to help them see how the early church didn't invent the Trinity out of thin air. Uh, the church is looking at these passages and examining these passages. And so the, the, the essentials of the Trinity are taught in Scripture. Now let's continue as we talk a, a bit uh, about... Can, can I have a question? Go ahead. Yeah, uh, maybe I should have brought it up a little bit earlier, because I thought you were going to get to it, and maybe you are. Um, for those uh, people who uh, would say it's it's Jesus only, I think they're called Oneness Pentecostals, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Do they Would they say then that Jesus is um, manifesting in different ways then? Yeah, you are referencing uh, what the what the ancient church called Sabellianism or modalism, and uh, I've written a couple articles recently about heresies that never die. Uh, you know, they they are addressed in church history, but they they remain there. So the modern day example of modalism or Sabellianism would be the Jesus-only uh, Pentecostals. Now, not all Pentecostals, not the Assembly of God. Uh, one, of the, one of the thoughtful and I think correct decisions the Assemblies of God made was uh, disassociating those who held this particular doctrine. Uh, and, and so the idea here, Joe, is it's called modalism, uh, and it's called Sabellianism because the heretic was Sabellius. Modalism, it's the idea that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not three distinct persons. They're one person. So sometimes the, the Father appears in the mode as the Father. Sometimes God appears in the mode as the Son. Other times, a different face, the Holy Spirit. And so the idea is he might step behind the screen and put on a different face. 
the problem with all of that is it denies that the there are three distinct persons, um, and it would therefore be a Trinitarian heresy. Uh, and so again, um, you know, people people are working through these things. Now, if I could be a little bit sympathetic, I mean, I've been pretty tough on groups. I call them heretical sect. Uh, but I want to explain how it could happen. It, it, it could be that the heresy, uh, you're drawn to it. That is, for a lot of people, that, that makes sense. Well, yeah. Well, he'd be the maybe he'd be the father in creation. Then he would take the mask of the son in redemption. Then he would take the mask of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, on the church age. And there's a certain, I don't know, a logical appeal to that. But this indicates, again, that uh, historic Christianity has looked at these passages very carefully and reasoned through. So is that helpful to you, Joe? Yes, very much. Okay, let's talk again about uh, the Holy Spirit as a divine person. Here we're again in the book of Acts. This is chapter 13, verse 2. Um, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, while they were worshiping, uh, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Well, they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit speaks. It seems that the Holy Spirit has the prerogatives of deity. He directs the disciples of Jesus. So scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit as a divine person. Impersonal forces cannot speak, and no one no one speaks with the prerogative of God other than God. So again, looking at these passages, the Catholic Church didn't invent the Trinity. Uh, the historic Christian Church uh, saw these kind of elements, and of course, it took time to develop uh, the language of the Trinity. It took time to, to kind of work through the controversies that, that came up. And first, the controversies were about Christology, uh, the person and nature of Jesus. They were also then about the Trinity. And then later, there were particular groups that denied the Holy Spirit, both, as, uh, both in terms of his divinity and in his personhood. Again, I, I, I want us to feel comfortable to be able to to go to the biblical text and to make a case. You don't, every, every Christian in my mind is a theologian. And uh, not every time we share our faith with non-Christians do they fall on their knees and, and repent. And I've had, I've had very challenging times talking to people who deny the Trinity. Uh, sometimes I, I probably wasn't as clear as I could have been. Um, but I, I think that I want Christians to feel comfortable that the Trinity is a theological truth, but it has its roots in Scripture. It can be, it can be inferred. Now, let me go to another passage here. This is Romans 8, okay, verse 9. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Let me read that again. 
Kind of an interesting verse. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Well, I think what's interesting here is that the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ are the same. So one point we can draw is that Christ and God are the same, and that sometimes the Holy Spirit is described as the Spirit of God. Other times he's described as the Spirit of Christ. Now, he's not the, uh, he's not, the Holy Spirit is not the human spirit of, of Jesus. But again, this, this language is loaded. And um, I think there are times where there is a real misrepresentation about how the church worked through these things. It's, it's true that doctrine develops, and it took time, and they debated, you know, these technical words. Uh, Jesus is uh, homoousios. He's the same substance as the Father, and there was a lot of debate and, and church councils, but what I want our friends today to appreciate is uh, maybe you're not a Catholic, or maybe you are not an Eastern Orthodox, or maybe you're not an Anglican, maybe you are a non-denomination, you belong to a non-denominational church, and you affirm the Trinity. Uh, you may not have a creedal statement, but you affirm the Trinity. But I want you to appreciate that uh, a lot of the debates and the decisions that were made by those councils were really critical. So in many respects, we today, um, we owe a lot to the past. And, uh, and uh, you know, Catholicism has evolved, but the word Catholic can, can either have a capital C or a lowercase c. I would describe myself as a lowercase c Catholic. Um, I think that my church is that same church. I, I'm Catholic. I'm not Roman. I was once a Roman Catholic. But I want, uh, I want people to at least recognize that there's a lot to be learned from those uh, church councils and, and the debates that, that went through there. Now, I, have a, I have a question. Jump right in, Dave. Um, I, I'm, I can't give you the exact scripture, but somewhere it speaks of when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and there's a, um, a oneness or a unity between our spirits and the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm, you probably can remember the scripture, but it, the, the, the reason I'm asking the question is that you made the point a moment ago that the Spirit of God or excuse me, the spirit of Christ that's being referred here to is the, the Holy Spirit, not his human spirit. That's right. In what sense would you describe the harmony, the unity between Jesus' human spirit and the Holy Spirit that was present in his life? How does, in that same sense that I was referring to when we become Christians, there's a unity that occurs between the spirit of Christ and our human spirit. Okay, well, um, I think one thing that I would say uh, right off the top 
is it's important in the incarnation. So that's a Latin term meaning to come in flesh. Right. So Latin, it doesn't appear in the Greek New Testament, but the Greek word for flesh is sarx. Uh, Jesus has come in the flesh. So what's critical there, Dave, is first of all to recognize that while the second person of the Trinity, uh, the Son of God, uh, takes a human nature, and that human nature has to be fully human. If, he, if Jesus doesn't have a soul or Jesus doesn't have a spirit, now I use, I think, and we might differ on this, but I think soul and spirit are used interchangeably. So it's important whenever you talk about the incarnation to realize Jesus had two natures. He was fully God and fully man, but a single person. Now that's that's a challenging idea. That's a deep mystery. Uh, but to try to relate it to your question, um, certainly there is a unity. Um, for example, I would say uh, in Genesis 2-7, uh, it says that God breathed on man and he became a living soul. I see a deep unity in human beings between the physical and the non-physical. Uh, the the soul and the body, if you will. Uh, I think um, I think an analogy there, Dave, would be this: that we have this union with the Holy Spirit, and it's similar to the union of this deep union within the soul of a human being with its body. So there is there is a unity. Now I'm going to come back to that in the next show because okay. I want to talk a, I want to talk a bit more about that. But let's uh, let's cover one other topic here. Um, again, we've been talking about uh, the three. The th we've been talking about the Trinity. We have said that the Holy Spirit is not an it; it's a who, and it's a divine who. And uh, in my book, uh, A World of Difference, which discusses the Christian worldview. Uh, I have a chart uh, on page 135, uh, and I, I simply want to want to convey to our listeners what I did in a chart there that's on page 135 of of uh, my book on worldviews. It's interesting that the three persons, uh, the first person of the Godhead is the Father. And he's called God. He's called Lord. Those are divine titles. Uh, but it's not just that the Father is called God and Lord or Yahweh. He also has the qualities or the attributes of deity. So the Father, for example, is self-existent. Uh, that is, he exists independently, dependent upon nothing or he's not dependent on anyone. Immutability, that is, God doesn't change in his being. Um, the idea that God would change would be a a heresy. Uh, so God is changeless. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere present. Uh, he is omniscient. He knows all things, and he's omnipotent. He has all power. And it says that the Father is involved in creation, salvation, the incarnation, resurrection, and judgment. Well, all I'm communicating there is this idea that the same is true for the uh, Son and the Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. 
he he is called Lord and Yahweh is called God, but he also has divine attributes. Romans 8, 2 says that he also is self-existent. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says that the spirit is immutable, changeless. Uh, Psalm 139, 7 says that God, that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. 1 Corinthians 2 through 11 says he is omniscient. And then finally, Genesis 1, 2 says that the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. And the Spirit is involved in the same things, the same acts, salvation, incarnation, resurrection, judgment, that the Father and the Son is involved with. So when we make our case for the Holy Spirit being a divine person, uh, he's called God, he is called Lord or Yahweh, but he also has the attributes of God. So, so if the Spirit were, were a force, or if the Spirit were something less than God, he could not have the same attributes that the Father does. And so we're reasoning very similarly. When I talk with a Jehovah's Witness or a Christadelphian uh, or a Unitarian, I say, look, Jesus has titles that he shares with the Father. He also has attributes that are only true of God. I would reason the same way about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called God, uh, but the Holy Spirit also has the attributes of God, and the Holy Spirit is involved in the same acts that the Father and the Son uh, are involved in. And so notice that the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity formally and explicitly, but the Bible does teach it inferentially. Uh, as we think through these ideas, we move to uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, let me pause, see if there's a question or a comment. I do have some sources I want to recommend, but I, I wonder if you guys uh, have any comments. Uh, what has your experience been talking to uh, people that deny the Trinity, for example? I, I just the comment that I would like to make is that a lot of these uh, doctrines and teachings and to you know the real understanding isn't always right on the surface the treasures that we you know the, the scriptures emphasizing i think of Saul, uh, proverbs chapter two where it talks us uh, tells us to seek after god as we would silver and gold and and uh, search for treasure and treasure is sometimes on the surface Sometimes when you go searching for gold, for instance, uh, you find a little bit of it on the surface, but the real treasures require work. You got to dig deep. You got to work at it and and uh, make a considerable effort. And I think that's the way God made it. And so uh, the Trinity is, a, is a, a critically important doctrine, but God didn't just make it all plain as day. And didn't have uh, chapter one. Uh, this is the Trinity. Uh, he made us dig for it. Yeah, and I think that's what people fail to do. Very good, Joe. Yeah, uh, just to add that uh, I appreciate uh, being in a uh, historical Protestant church, a Reformed church, where we have the Gloria Patri and the Doxology, where we're getting uh, the Trinity. Uh, in our liturgy each each Lord's Day. So 
it's a helpful reminder that uh, our Godhead consists of the three divine persons. Yeah. Well, just a couple comments as we uh, as we close here. Let me mention just briefly the images of the Spirit. Um, I love uh, I I love classical church um, art and beauty. Uh, I know in our church we have a a spectacular um, stained glass window that has the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove, and then below it there are the uh, the he's he is seen or depicted as fire so in in church history and in church art the dove uh the the uh the fire kind of element i i like that uh i like it that the classical churches in many ways used art as a way of trying to teach and uh, guys a couple books um of course uh, a world of difference i have a, a chapter devoted to the Trinity, and a section devoted to each of the three persons. Also, in an earlier book, without a doubt, I do something similar to that. A couple books that I really do like on this topic is uh, Michael Green's book, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. Notice that that title comes right out of the Apostles' Creed, I Believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that's from the Creed. That's Michael Green. Michael Green was an Anglican theologian. Uh, I really have a lot of respect and admiration for him. Uh, quick story. Uh, I asked him if he would uh, write an endorsement of my book, uh, Classic Christian Thinkers. And uh, he wrote back to Joe and said, yeah, I'll do it. I have to do it quickly because tomorrow I'm having a heart operation. And I'm thinking, Oh, my goodness. Uh, but Michael Green was a very skilled apologist and evangelist. So you can get that book, I believe, in the Holy Spirit by Michael Green. And then Sinclair Ferguson, very articulate theologian in the Reformed tradition, he has a book entitled The Holy Spirit. So that there's some reading for you uh, on the topic, Joe and Dave. Great. And we'll talk about this some more on the second podcast, Ken, looking forward to that, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, be sure to listen to that one. And let us know your comments and questions. Reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore case samples. We'll be glad to read your comment here. Here are a couple of them that have uh, come in recently that you've passed along, Ken. Uh, in fact, this one relates to the topic today. Hello, Kenneth. My name is Amin, if I got that right. I am from Somalia. I would like to know who is Jesus. Can you explain to me the Trinity, please? Amin Adwan Kawali. Uh, do you recall that one, Ken? I do. I do. Uh, yes. I interacted with him on social media and gave him a uh, an article that I'd written. And uh, yeah, that, I appreciate that. I, I love when I love when people ask about what's most important. Yeah. And another uh, comment, dear clear thinking hosts, I'm a big fan of the podcast and appreciate the philosophical discussions your team facilitates. Gracelyn Bird. So thank you for that one as well. All right. Well, you know how to get a hold of uh, Ken. Again, that's at RTB underscore K samples. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast 
on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rockstad, this is Joe Aguirre, with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.